After a successful career at New Hampshire's largest law firm advising businesses on employment issues, this week's guest launched a consulting firm as her encore, helping companies navigate today's tricky business and employment environment. We talked to Sharla Stevens about the employment pitfalls employers need to avoid. I'm Matt Mowry, Executive Editor of Business NH Magazine. I'm Christine Kerrigan, Chief Creative Officer of Business New Hampshire Magazine and Granite Media Group. And I'm Nathan Carroll, Chief Growth Officer of Granite Media Group and founder of Cardinal Consulting, and welcome to BizCast NH. All right, so we're in between the holiday seasons. <laughs> we're Thanksgiving, rolling into Christmas right mm-hmm. about when now. When did that mm-hmm. happen, first of all? Because <laughs> we blinked. Uh, and so, you know, very serious topic here. Yes. The obsession with pumpkin spice. Oh, my God. <laughs> versus my own personal obsession with eggnog and all things Christmas flavors. <sighs> so where do you fall? Are you in this manic mania of pumpkin spice that's caught up that must end? Or are you embracing the forthcoming holiday peppermints? Oh, see, I'm glad you said peppermint. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, I'm gl- I, okay. All right. So here's the thing like, when it's pumpkin spice time, um, I'll have, and I, I don't know, I associate it with like beverages mostly. Like, right. we're not candle people or scented Although things. Although it right? is now all things ridiculous right, in right. every food flavor. Yeah, like pumpkin spice doormats and whatever <laughs> else. Who knows? Um, but. <laughs> Do you have one of those? I do not. You, you will soon. <laughs> check check the front step. Uh, <laughs> but like, so I, again, beverages. I have like maybe, I don't know, two pumpkin spice something in that season. And then, like you said, like, oh, look, it's it's peppermint time. Oh, that's a nicer mix. Peppermint is a nicer mix. You can get in a little like the peppermint cocoa mocha kind of thing. And like, yeah, I, yeah. so I, I guess mean, I lean that way. Parm is I'm not a coffee drinker. And yeah. I admit that. Uh-huh. So, okay. you know, um, you know, I just didn't, I, I like pumpkin pie. But beyond that, I really don't need pumpkin flavored anything involved in my life. I've not understood the obsession. It keeps building every year. It's in chips and everything else that it doesn't belong in. But the funny thing is, it's it's not even pumpkin. It's just this. It's, it's like the, the cinnamon and the nutmeg. Yes. It's like, so right. just, just call it like fall spice. There's no like pumpkin tastes like squash. And for me, I fall into the camp where I, when I think of pumpkin Mike's spice. Mike's totally agreeing with you, by the way. <laughs> when I think of pumpkin spice, I think of a candle or yeah. like a scent. So I don't like the flavor of it because I feel like I'm drinking a candle. <laughs> so I'm. it's it's definitely not my go-to. I would definitely be on the peppermint end of things. Give if me I a peppermint s- hot chocolate. Oh. I want to spike a cocoa with it you know i want my peppermint schnapps and it is not Ooh, hello not a suggestion for pumpkin spice schnapps people so do not take it that I mean, way schnapps in the end it's just schnapps right <laughs> but so here's something before we get into the like the real meat of why people listen to this and hopefully it's not because of the two or three of us um but what if during pumpkin spice season you go in and you order like a peppermint mocha at starbucks do people's heads explode they won't know what's happening oh my gosh you're like wait we can't do that because it's not december <laughs> <laughs> Although all I know is that we got to get on this bandwagon. So coming to you, November 2024, Business New Hampshire Magazine, November issue, Pumpkin Spice. Yeah, smells like <laughs> scratch and sniff cover. <laughs> I will say I did drive past a, an oil change 
uh, business last year, I want to say. And on their sign, it says, we have the only pumpkin spice, the only pumpkin spice oil change. Or Come get your pumpkin spice oil <laughs> change. It. I yeah. love it. So, knows she's like, yes, 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 I've been there. Yeah. Yes. We'll have to find out if she's had a pumpkin spice oil change. <laughs> we'll keep it PG, people. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we should probably get into another we topic. We really need to get into the main topic here. And the best way to do that is to introduce our guest this week. And her name is Charlotte Stevens. Charlotte practiced law in New Hampshire and Massachusetts for more than 37 years. She spent the last 21 years at McLean Middleton, where she chaired the Employment Law Practice Group and represented schools and healthcare practices. Since retiring from McLean Middleton at the end of 21, she's established a consulting practice where she continues to offer services to businesses, including workplace training, independent investigations, watch yourself, strategic human resources consulting, and mediation and conflict resolution. During her years of practice, she was recognized as a top employment lawyer, received numerous awards, including the Granite State HR Hero Award and the Jack B. Middleton Pro Bono Service Award. We're to know what kind of person she is. This is great. Charlotte has a long history of serving nonprofits and professional organizations through boards and associations. She's also been active in numerous HR associations, including the Society for HR Management, the Greater Nashua Human Resource Association, and the Northeast Human Resource Association. And she somehow found some time to be here with us today. Charlotte, welcome. Thank you so much. It is our pleasure. Some people retire to play golf or do other things. You retire to continue working. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. So why is it that you did that? Why do you do what you do? Why are you passionate about all of this work you've done over the years? Yeah, so that's a that's a good question. It's not always the easiest. We only ask good questions. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> it's, it's not only always the easiest question to answer because I think the, the answer differs depending upon my mood okay. and, and the day. What mood are you in today? <laughs> I'm and in a good a mood. All right. It's, yeah, it's, it's fall. It's gorgeous. Yeah. We're, we're here in New Hampshire. It's, it's lovely. Um, yeah, I, I think I wanted to continue because I was done doing what I was doing. The real, mm. the 24-7 grind, um, a lot of stress, as mm-hmm. you can imagine, um, a lot of demands. And, you know, I just thought I, I really need to, to make a change in my life. And I think COVID, for example, made a lot of us sort of reassess. Um, and I probably retired from the law firm two or three years sooner than I had originally planned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always planned not to be there until... Death. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to find you dead at your desk. Sometimes people will say that. I don't want to die at my desk. I mean, I want to have a life. And so I always thought, you know, while I'm still healthy and young, I'm going to retire. But did it a little earlier than I expected because um, for people who worked in employment law, education, COVID was, was a really stressful time. Um, We were all learning new things. Our clients were in great need at the time. Um, Major crises all the time. You know, some businesses slowed down. Ours did not. It it ramped up. Um, So I was tired and and I was ready, but I felt like I still had something to give, still had something to say. Matt knows me and knows that I, I like to write about maybe some, you know, pithy topics and I like to maybe (laughs) poke the bear a little bit raise issues so you know I still had things to do I planned to continue with nonprofit and volunteer work and I thought why not keep doing the things I loved doing as a lawyer Um, and none of the things I no longer wanted to do like litigation and arguing with people so um, you know my tagline on my my um, 
website is Strengthening Your Workplace Community. So that was kind of what I was all about, hoping to make the work life better for employees and more productive for businesses, because I certainly can see both sides of of all of that. Um, so yeah, and I'm having a great time doing it. Well, that's good. <laughs> so uh, part of your focus is on human resource consulting. Right. And we know that human resources is a tough area. And I'm sure even uh, during the pandemic, it just got even more complicated with a lot of remote work and, and just kind of handling that aspect of businesses. So can you talk a little bit about why you're interested in HR? What What's your uh, focus with HR and, and what, what makes you want to get up in the morning and work on HR <laughs> yeah. issues? Um, it's a little different from most people who have human resources consulting businesses because a lot of those individuals um, you know, grew up doing day-to-day HR compliance work. And my focus was a little bit different as a lawyer. And you know, I'm not the kind of person that's going to come into your workplace and fill in for a you know, medical leave of absence or help you. You don't want to pay me to do that. And that was not what I did. So I probably wouldn't be very good at it. Um, but what I like to do in terms of the consulting piece is really sort of dig into issues, um, climate assessments, um, talking to employees about the good and the bads of their departments, of the people that they work for, of the systems. Um, you know, the kinds of things I've really enjoyed doing is helping establish mentorship programs, um, helping with uh, DEI initiatives, you know, getting that kind of thing started in businesses. Um, like I said, climate surveys, exit interviews, um, really trying to dig in on what are the issues and how can we make them better. And so often what I found is that even when I do investigations, which we may talk about in a little bit, um, most of the time the problems arise out of miscommunication, people not listening, people not hearing. Um, you, don't, you do have people who are you know, bad actors who mm-hmm. commit sexual harassment and discrimination and, and do bad things, but the majority of problems, issues in workplaces tend to be um, poor communication, different work styles. Um, and so I find that workplaces can really use some help um, kind of bring, bringing people together and kind of getting people on the same page. So to the extent I can be helpful there, I love doing that. So you've had a front seat for decades about the <laughs> HR issues and, yeah. and legal yeah. problems that businesses get themselves into and, you know, having to help them navigate those. When the pandemic hit and, and since we've been in the recovery, what, has there been any changes in, ter- in terms of what's bubbled up as to be the more common problems? Has it been consistent just despite that? What are the issues that you're really seeing clients coming to you about that they're struggling with? So um, I still see a lot of the same issues, obviously. Wage and hour compliance, um, misclassification of employees, you know, the, the, the day-to-day mundane, you know, are you checking the boxes and are you getting things right? I think the issues that have really percolated up have been um, mental health in the workplace, and today is World Mental Health Awareness Day. Yes, so good is. day to yeah. talk about that. It's October 10th. I know this isn't live, um, but you know, <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's recording day. It, it's yes. been you know all over LinkedIn and Facebook today. And I think that started pre-pandemic. Really came to the forefront where people started actually talking about it during the pandemic. And now. Um, I think companies are realizing and the public is realizing a lot of those issues you know, have continued and, and will will continue to percolate until we wrap our arms around lifestyle, um, 
you know, work life, I don't want to say balance because I'm not sure that's a thing, but, mm, you know, right. work life alignment mm-hmm. um, and just getting people to get to resources when they need help. Um, and a lot of businesses do not ha- know how to talk to people about these issues. So I've been able to go in and sometimes do some trainings around how do you have these conversations with your employees without um, tiptoeing into a landmine. Right. That's great. That's great. Because there, you know, I think that's a lot of the time uh, for employers, the issue is like, well, we, we don't know how to talk about it. So we can't, we can't until we're ready. And then, you know, you're never really ready, or there's never a right time. So having someone like you to be able to do that training to lend your expertise is, is huge. Now, you said something in the beginning, and, and I feel like it always comes up when we talk about HR, where it's like, wage and hour and compliance issues um, that are always at the forefront of things, misclassification of employees. It keeps happening. It keep it's this thing that like everybody does. How can we as as business owners, as employers, um, become more educated at that? You know, I mean, obviously, working with someone like you is that's important, but it's happening all over, and that seems to be like the number one, number two complaint about uh, the misclassification and all that. And so. Um, are there just resources that a, a business owner may already have at their fingertips that they don't know that they should utilize? How do we get better at that yeah, stuff? That, that, that's an excellent question. And it's, of course, it's been a source of frustration for uh, me for many, many years. I the same problem over and over and over. Right, exactly. And, yeah. and you try when you're giving people advice to say, okay, these are the rules and this is what I think. Obviously, mm. as a business owner, it's your choice because some business owners are willing to take the risk. Hmm. and say, maybe we'll get caught, maybe we won't get caught. Um, What I heard many times when it came to the independent contractor issue is um, everybody in the industry does it, so we need to do it in (laughs) order to stay competitive because, you know, they get a competitive advantage because they can charge less if they're not paying overtime, for example, or if they're not paying benefits like they would to someone who is an employee. Um, I think that a partnership with a good employment lawyer Having um, good, skilled HR in your workplace and then listening to them, (laughs) because that is a major frustration that I hear from HR professionals that I talk to all the time is, I know what the right answer is, but I can't sell it to the management you know, they don't, they don't believe me. And, you know, I used to say, do you need me to write you an email? Because, <laughs> you know, they would sometimes believe it coming right. from the attorney as opposed to the HR professional. So if you're, you know, if you've got a good, talented HR professional, empower that person to make changes that need to be made. Um, there are plenty of resources out there, Department of Labor, um, you know, EEOC, Human Rights Commission, they mm-hmm. all do tons of training. Y- you can get this information. You can go to law firms, legal updates. I mean, there's plenty out there. Yeah. Um, sometimes people don't pay attention to it or read it and say, yeah, but that's, that's not what we do in, in this business. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. So aside from misclassification, what are some of the common pitfalls? What are businesses often doing that really land them into some hot water? <laughs> yeah, that's a good... <laughs> How long do we have? it all. <laughs> you know, it's funny. One thing that's come up a couple of times over the past few weeks is um, not holding people accountable. 
Um, you know, that's a big one because a lot of companies will have great policies. They'll bring people like me in to do workplace training on workplace civility and anti-harassment, anti-discrimination. You know, they talk the talk, but sometimes upper management doesn't walk the walk. Um, sometimes they let high performers or you know, high value employees get away with things that maybe someone lower down the totem pole would not get away with. And then once, you know, that behavior is enabled, it's really hard to pull that back and, and start enforcing appropriate workplace behavior. Some companies do it great, but, you know, very often it, it's hard to discipline the guy who brings in the most money. Um, you recently, you've written many articles for <laughs> Business New Hampshire magazine over the years, a wonderful resource for our readers. Um, but you, uh, in a very recent issue wrote about the DEI backlash, which I found really interesting. So we saw the rise over the pandemic, an increased, um, awareness of the importance of DEI and more companies paying attention to it. And just like anything else that comes to the fore, a backlash came with it. Can you talk about what that backlash has been and why companies should not maybe um, <laughs> buy into the backlash? Yeah, try to stay the course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's And I just spent this past weekend in Minneapolis at um, an American Bar Association conference. And, you know, coincidentally, Minneapolis is, is where George Floyd was murdered. So they had the, um, the, the trial team who convicted um, the police officer that committed the murder. Um, and they were like the featured speakers. And it was energizing. It was amazing to learn, you know, what they had done. And in the midst of that, we also learned that um, the recent U.S. Supreme Court case against affirmative action, uh, the nonprofit, the, you know, the think tank that brought that case is now m making threats against law firms who have internship programs for people from, you know, disadvantaged backgrounds or marginalized communities. And, you know, some of those law firms have given in and have opened up those internships and, and those, you know, different I guess, programs that have been made available to underserved populations. You know, a few of them have walked it back and have given in to that pressure. Uh, and, you know, that's, of course, very, very frustrating. I think that, you know, it has started from, to, to some extent, it started from there being so much talk about the issue. Mm -hmm. And I think people, some people were feeling as though it was kind of being shoved down their throats. And, you know, that they were being the ones who were marginalized, whether it be white males or, you know, individuals of more conservative um, political backgrounds and that kind of thing, um, just didn't want to hear it anymore and sort of dismissed it. You know, I heard somebody say just the other day that there are people who don't buy into the whole thought of unconscious bias and they, they, they don't believe that people have these biases. And, and we know we all have bias, right? It can be bias in favor of something, it can be bias against something, it can be cultural, it can be how we were raised, how we were educated. Um, and But if you don't buy into that, and you think, of course, I'm, I'm blind to color, I'm blind to religion, I treat everybody fairly and equally, you don't see the need for education on those issues. And why is it why is it important? Why are companies investing in DEI training and looking more closely at their hiring practices and promotional and 
and and and how they they give wage increases. Yeah, I think that um, there there were probably I would say three different reasons because different companies do it for different reasons. I mean, some want to buy out of legal risk. You know, when you hear about things like, you know, wage inequities and people bringing lawsuits about wage inequities and that kind of thing. So, so, so there's that. You know, we want to be safe from that. I think um, many are doing it for, for good business reasons. You know, number one, the, the, the statistics and the research seem to show that diverse leadership teams lead more profitable organizations. Uh, you know, when you have different ideas and, you know, it may not always be cultural. It could be different ways of thinking, different ways of, you know, different work styles, different communication styles. When you have a good mix of people contributing to, you know, the idea making, you get better ideas. Um, people are more energized. People, you know, tend to, to, to see companies be more profitable. Um, and also, I think a lot of clients are demanding it. It, you know, we're still at the phase where, you know, if a law firm goes to make a pitch to a large company to do their work, they want to see a diverse team participating in the pitch and also doing the work. You know, they're not buying into a token, you know, female that comes in to assist with the pitch or a token person of color and then never see any females or people of color working on their matters. Um, so companies that, you know, you're seeking work from are still demanding it. Um, and then I think, you know, the third aspect of it is the, the current generations that are coming into the workforce, they want that from their companies. They want to know that the companies that they work for share their values, um, are doing the right thing in their communities. Um, they they want to know what's your diversity statement, what are the numbers uh, and not only do you have a diverse workforce, but do you have a diverse leadership team? Because it's, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, you know, we can put up on our website that we're X percentage African-American, X percentage female, but are those people in positions where they can make decisions, influence the culture of a business, uh, influence really what the outcomes are going to be for the people that work there? So lots of great reasons to do it. And of course, I think many people are still doing it, mm -hmm. but there is that kind of push from the other perspective. And then of course, you know, these days everybody demonizes whoever is on the other side of an issue mm. and things just start to get nasty, right? Right. Yeah. Civil discourses just seem to go on right out the window. Oh, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's terrible. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, Christine here to tell you about the upcoming Very Merry Holiday Gift Festival on December 9th and 10th in downtown Manchester, New Hampshire. At the festival, you'll find an incredible array of New England-made products for everyone on your list. Unique handcrafted gifts, tasty sauces and spices, beautiful woodworking, sparkling pieces of artisan jewelry, and so much more. Plus, be sure to bring the kids for a visit with Santa, crafts with Mrs. Claus, and a special kids-only shopping area gingerbread house demonstrations, rescue animals, and so much more. And enjoy holiday entertainment at the festival stage. So put on your most festive attire and make your way to the Very Merry Holiday Gift Festival, your one-stop holiday gift shop at the Doubletree by Hilton Expo Center in Manchester, New Hampshire on December 9th and 10th, sponsored by Unitel, Manchester Radio Group, and Granite Media Group. For more information or to purchase tickets, visit verymerryfestival.com. We are back. So part of what we explore here, obviously, too, is the entrepreneurial journey. So 
Did you always want to be a lawyer? Exactly. Were you argumentative as a kid? You know, get into your behaviors as a child. I have been, said to my know. teenager more than once. I'm like, why don't you put this like argumentative style to use and go be a lawyer and make some money at it? But what yeah. was that like for you growing up? What yeah. What were your aspirations and what drove drove you to law? So. Um, I always wanted to be a lawyer, at least as long as I can remember. Any uh, lawyers in the family, or no? Abs- oh. Actually, none, none. No, um, and there there were people in my family that went to college, but it was all business. You know, they all got business degrees. Um, I, I was the only one that had any interest in the law. I think the only one that actually probably went to graduate school. Um, so yeah, no, it was all for me. And a lot of it was first, I was fascinated by legal issues when I was pretty young. Um, and, you know, it was I was young in the 60s and the 70s. And, you know, people were fighting for their rights. <laughs> uh, so I was really fascinated by that into that, you know, was fascinated by what the Supreme Court did during those years when there were a lot of changes um, to provide additional civil rights, you know, to to people accused of crimes, to people of color. So, you know, always just fascinated by that. Um, and, And yeah, I was always a little bit argumentative. And, you know, somebody, there was a story that it got published in one of the New Hampshire, um, bar news articles that when I was in the fifth grade, I organized all the little girls and we all decided we were going to keep our pants on, our long pants on after gym class because it was too darn cold out. (laughs) Um, And you weren't allowed to wear pants in school when you were a girl back then. And we said, you know, it's not fair that the boys get to wear pants and we don't. So we had this little battalion of girls who marched back to class in our pants and were threatened that we would be sent home if we didn't change back into our skirts and dresses. Um, So we did that. We didn't take it too far. But, you know, we thought we made our point. And I think I had that I had that personality from from day one. Sometimes it gets me into trouble. It has me into trouble. <laughs> I was going to say, kind of a badass. From the there, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes Good. I'm too too. But, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, did you grow up in uh, in New Hampshire or in New England? I grew up in northern Massachusetts in Haverhill, which is just over the border. Yeah, and uh, you know, went to school in in Boston, went to BC Law, um, and then moved up here when I um, got a job offer. Excellent. So, yeah. Excellent. Um, yep. You have done a ton in terms of nonprofit involvement. You obviously were uh, uh, awarded the the Pro Bono Service Award. Um, talk a little bit about just your um, perspective on your view on um, community involvement and how all of the stuff that you are doing and have done has made a difference. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's 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 hugely important for all of us as members of a community to give back in, in whatever way we can or, you know, whatever our skills will allow, our time will allow. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's volunteering. Um, you know, I think it's important to feel like you're part of a community to, to help your community, whether it's your church community, your, you know, your neighborhood or your state, your country, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always, you know, fascinated by, you know, people who volunteered and did amazing things. And, you know, I think that the status of volunteerism has changed a little bit. The, certainly the way people donate ch- has changed a lot. Um, you know, it's not the same 
as it used to be when we simply had like, you know, the United Way campaign and, you know, we gave through payroll deduction, which, you know, I did right up in, as long as I had payroll, I gave through <laughs> payroll deduction. Yep, yep. Um, but, you know, I think more and more people are finding ways to go out into the community and whether it's serving meals, whether it's cleaning up a neighborhood, you know, whatever it might be, I think that that's a great way that people engage with one another. Um, you know, I had had really the privilege to serve on a number of nonprofit boards. I yeah. had a big interest in um, in health and um, health of children, people without health insurance. So, you know, I did a couple of stints on on boards for nonprofit organizations with with health as a focus. Um, what was once the Manchester Community Health Center and Child mm-hmm. Health Services, and it's now Amoskeg Health. You know, I was very young when I served on those boards, and you know, have have served on a number um, of boards that of organizations that do things that I find critically important. There are so many, and it's hard to pick. Right. But you right. know, right now I'm focused on health, mental health. Um, I serve on the New Hampshire Lawyers Assistance Program Commission. Um, because workplace well-being, especially for lawyers, which have some of the worst statistics when it comes to mental health and Mm -hmm. suicide and substance use. So, you know, I'm keenly focused on on that. Um, And then, you know, organizations like United Way, Mm -hmm. it's it's great to be able to bring your skills to that. If you're a lawyer, if you're somebody who's in, you know, marketing and communications, mm-hmm. if you're an accountant, I mean, there's, yeah. there's so many of your skills that uh, that would be so beneficial to right. those organizations. Boards love lawyers. Yeah, yeah, they do. But they, they're so they're they're yeah. well versed. They're useful in that way. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. But they love accounting professionals. They it's love true. people who are in communications and marketing, not as necessarily to do the work, but to put their eye on something and say, "Well, that's going to work, or that's not going to work." Um, it's really valuable. You brought up mental health um, is one of the the areas of nonprofits that you focus on, um, but also earlier you talked about that's one of the issues that's really come to the fore. Can you talk about? How are companies' view of their role in helping with mental health issues changing and evolving? What are we seeing workplaces do more around this? I think it, it, the role is definitely changing, um, and I think that's fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I'm of the baby boomer generation, a young baby boomer, but a baby boomer nevertheless, where people didn't bring, you know, you don't bring your personal problems to work. You don't, you don't share your salary. You don't share your medical issues. You don't share your mental health issues. Um, that is not the case anymore. You know, people at, at work, you, you know, uh, millennials, Gen Z, they share. Um, and they expect others to share and re- reciprocate. Uh, and I think the biggest issue has been that reluctance of people to speak up and say, I could use some help. I could use a mental health day. I could use a, you know, a day off. I need to take a leave of absence because my child has a mental health issue. Um, and I think that some of the stigma around that has lessened, at least lessened in the pandemic, where people started asking questions. Employers started asking questions when they knew their, their employees were isolated. You know, how you doing? 
Um, and they tried to do some of that, you know, collegiality stuff with the, the, the Zoom sort of, I want to say happy hours. I don't know that that was necessarily the best thing because I think a lot of substance <laughs> right. use right. escalated during the pandemic. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the trivia contests with coworkers mm-hmm. and cooking class online. And, and, you know, I think that people were recognizing they need to keep people connected. Um, but, you know, at offering EAP services to people, employee assistance plan, um, talking about what was available more. Um, I think that was critical, and I think it's continued. Where now people are asking because they recognize that a lot of their employees are bringing some type of, and I hate to use the word baggage, but something into the workplace. They bring their whole selves into the workplace, whether they're having a good day, a bad day, they have personal problems at home, they're struggling with depression. You know, that person comes in as they are, and sometimes you need to have a conversation about it. I think there, there was that fear of, it's none of my business, I don't know what to say, and also that fear of, am I going to ask a question that I'm legally not allowed to ask? Um, and then, you know, people being reluctant because of the fear that people are going to look down on me. They hear I'm on an antidepressant, they're going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> and I think people are learning more and more that, you know, t- t- one out of three people may be struggling with some type of mental health issue. Um, so guess what? A lot of your fellow employees have got something going on. And to the extent we can talk about it and offer resources, make sure our uh, health insurance plans cover Mm. um, therapy to a good extent. Um, So I think they're seeing it now as more of their role, which, you know, is something I've been sort of banging the drum about for a long time. And I think that's happening. So would you have any advice on that for employers, maybe if they're noticing something with somebody that works for them that, you know, they want to ask if something's going on, but they don't want to cross that line where they're worried they're going to say something yeah. that they're not allowed to, what would you suggest? So, um, you know, I've, I've done some some trainings on this, and I've worked with Recovery Friendly Workforce on this, which I think is a fantastic initiative. Um, you know, I think you want to always approach people from a place of caring. Um, you don't want to force people to give you answers. Um, if they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to talk about it. But you want to be able to at least tell them that you're there to listen if they need it. If they're not comfortable talking to you, maybe they can talk to someone else. Um, just a simple, like, hey, you know, I noticed that, you know, you haven't go- been going to lunch with people or you've been, you know, keeping to yourself a lot more lately. Um, are you okay? Is there anything that we can help with? Um, y- you know that that, you know, we care about you, and I'm concerned. Just Uh, keeping that door open for them. Yeah, keeping the door open. And sometimes it takes a couple times before a person starts to feel comfortable. And I think one of the most important things is if someone actually does talk to you, you know, thank them for trusting you because that's a huge step. Um, Listen, and then, you know, depending upon who you are in the organization, make sure they get to the right people. Um, somebody with some skill to talk about it, whether it's employee assistance plan or whatever resources might be available. Some companies now are even offering some free therapy um, to employees, completely confidential, not set up through the company, but just, you know, you get to use this. And I think a lot of people still don't trust that employee assistance plans are actually confidential. Um, You know, they are, and the employee assistance plan will tell you that they are. But, um, you know, you have to sort of meet the person where they are. 
But, you know, listening from a perspective of caring, I, I think, is the most important thing as far as opening the door. Yeah. Well, it's, and I was almost going to um, piggyback off of um, what Christine had initially asked about, you know, what do you, uh, how to approach that uh, and, and your answer. But and, and thinking, oh, geez, OK, so you have to be ready for the, that individual who you are asking to say, yeah, this is what's up. And, and you know, and you get to that point and you go, oh, oh OK. <laughs> OK. So and then it's like, well, what do we do now? Um, but. Yeah, having the tools, I think, and earlier on you said having that um, that experienced HR, HR professional, whether it's a consultant, whether it's a, an employee, someone that you can go to and say, how do we do this correctly, right? And and train the right people to do that um, because you can't just say, oh, thanks for telling me. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what else to do, you know? You have to follow it through and, and help that individual because, like you said, a lot of there's so much more that comes into the workplace now that people are coming in with, as it were. Their bags are clear, whereas they used to be, mm-hmm. you know? No, you're right. And yeah. I think it's, it's very important to train those sort of frontline managers mm. on what to say and what to do, even if it means getting the person to HR or getting right. the person somewhere else, yeah. but to listen and then say, okay, we're going to go talk to so-and-so and be- because you're right. I mean, sometimes people don't ask the question because they don't know what to do with the answer. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest issues um, that seems employers across the board, no matter what the industry they're facing, obviously, is hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not enough folks to go around. Um, you know, but with the increase in remote work, they're also able to cast some some cases a wider field, hire uh, employees remotely. Are there issues that companies are running into, though, with these latest trends in terms of either they can't find enough and are they being more lax in their hiring practices and or they're going further afield and they're hiring more remote employees, but are they able to onboard them in an effective way? What are some of the issues we're running into in our hiring practices? Yeah, I think that, that it's it's a really tough time right now. It's a tough time for people looking for jobs, and it's a tough time for people who are hiring. And somehow we, we can't get them connected. I think that people who are hiring are still... Um, having very, very high expectations and perhaps less of a desire to train people. So they want somebody who checks all the boxes and has all the skills. Um, They're incredibly busy, so they're not being responsive even to people who they've interviewed. And so you kind of got a little bit of ghosting on both sides, which I think is, you know, really, it it sets a pretty bad precedent. Um, But I think that you're right that people are hiring remotely, especially for very specialized skills that they can't find locally, or at least are not coming to them locally. Um, The kinds of questions that I've been asked around remote work really have been, how do we engage them, make them part of the team? Uh, You know, there are people now who were hired during the pandemic who've never met their coworkers, some of their coworkers. Right. So, you know, how do we fix that? Because, you know, it's great to be able to work remotely. I fell in love with it immediately. I thought it was the greatest (laughs) thing ever. Yes, definitely. No, it was wonderful. Some people hated it and still hate it. But no, it was great for me. But you still have that kind of need to bring people together. Um, And... 
you know, one thing that I found is even if you have like a once a month day that everybody's in the office and you know not a lot of work's going to get done, but that's when you have like the training meetings and the town hall meetings and a lunch or whatever, just to kind of connect people so that they can, you know, that helps with culture, I think. So, you know, you think about what are the issues with remote work, culture and productivity, I think are, are the two biggest. And you know, I'm definitely against all the keystroke monitoring and timing stuff. And how do I monitor my, my employees, which is one of the most common thing you see on human resources listservs. It's like, that's, that's really not what it's about. I mean, if you have people that are working at home, you, you've, you have to have people you trust, but you have to measure outcomes as opposed to, you know, how many minutes a day or did they take a break to go to the bathroom or to put in a load of laundry? Um, so, you know, there, there's that sort of piece of it. And then how do you maintain some level of connectedness among employees between supervisor and employee? That's a big issue. Like, how do you evaluate people? How do you advance mentor people? It takes some effort. I mean, it takes some effort when you're down the hall from one another, right. but it takes more effort, mm -hmm. you know, when you're somewhere else. And, you know, what do you do to make that happen? You, you can't lose all of that. I think that you can find a, a good, happy medium. Um, but there are times when you either have to be incredibly skilled at Zoom and Teams meetings or, you know, you have to bring people together uh, once in a while. I think the Surgeon General came up with that report about the, you know, that was maybe about six months ago, the epidemic of loneliness yeah. and how, you know, that's pretty scary stuff. <laughs> when you find that people have sort of withdrawn into their bubbles. Right. Right. Um, wow. I, I feel like we should just have you back and just talk HR things. But, you know, <laughs> and we got a lot of uh, information about you, which is great, and your career and, and all that. But there's so much to talk about. There is. Um, there and, is. and we're so appreciative of, of your time. Um, you started this business, the new business, as it were, at the end of what, 21? Yeah, um, beginning of 22. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. And yeah. you, um, and of course, the first year is always the most fun, right? Uh, and so. <laughs> to get a bank account and a credit yeah. card. <laughs> all this, all this yeah. stuff. But yeah. I think um, what I'm seeing and hearing is that. Um, Having you in this place, you know, not as an attorney, but as a consultant, someone who can maybe even do more than they and have a larger impact um, is really an awesome place for you to have a huge impact here in New Hampshire and, and, and around the, the region. So um, I guess that's a way of saying thank you uh, <laughs> for giving us a little bit of advice, giving our readers, uh, readers, listen to me, I'm doing it. I pulled a mat. <laughs> I pulled a mat, giving our <laughs> listeners uh, a little bit of, of free advice, as it were, and just being with us. It's been really uh, an awesome almost hour, and we're so appreciative of uh, your time and expertise. It's fun things to talk about. Yeah, I love course. talking about this Fun stuff. things to talk about. <laughs> Charla Stevens is Charla Stevens Consulting, right? Right. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Thank, Thank you again you. for being with us. It's been great. It's been very nice talking to all three of you. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.